Hello and welcome to another episode of Fikava Vet Chat. I will take you again up north to the border between Sweden and Norway. A German veterinarian has moved up there together with her Scottish partner and she lives there right in the middle of the outdoors together with 40 huskies. So I think that makes a good theme for another episode of Fikava Vet Chat. So hello and welcome, Annette Kriller. Hello. Hello, Hi, Thank you very much Hi, for having me. Thank you for joining me. So how's the weather at the moment up in the north? Absolutely beautiful. We still have blue skies, sun's shining, and that's a mm. rare sight this summer. That's, yes, and sun shining. I mean, time of recording at the moment, 10 past eight, end of August, sort of, yeah, we are still a little bit on the on on the good side of this. Fortunately. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it, I mean, I'm I'm sitting at the moment, as, uh, as I said, I'm sitting in Tromsø at the moment, and uh, uh, it's, I find it absolutely dramatic, sort of how quick the season is, is is changing in this part of the world now. Mm. Yep. I mean, you have that in the in spring as well. Mm. So this nature sort of, I think, exploding around you, sort of going from winter directly into summer. Mm. Yes. Not losing right. any time. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. The yeah. fall, we have a short fall, but almost no spring. The spring that I'm used from Germany just doesn't exist here. It's not a beautiful time. You can, it's called breakup. It's muddy, wet, slippery, icy, horrible. Yeah, and you really wait for the low temperatures, I think. You want to have low temperatures, low, through, and snow, snow with a reflection yeah, of the I mean, light, yeah. I think it makes a difference. Summer's fine just now. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with summer just now. Good, good. I'm, I'm, I'm talking too much. I want to hear more about you. So, how did this come all, all come about? Sort of, how did that happen that you moved? I mean, you, you, I understand you studied in Germany and then you, you moved directly to Sweden. Or how did that all come about? Um, yeah, I, I didn't only study in Germany. I studied in Germany and France, and um, so I was in. I studied in Munich. Um, and um, do you want the long story? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that um, sounds, I, I love, I have to admit, and I, I love these stories because okay. I mean, there are so many vets that, you know, they come from one village, they go to vet school, then they return to the village, and then they sit there for 40 years or so and work as veterinarians. And... Yeah. Although I envy them that they are rooted and that they know where they come from. Also, I like these interesting stories where people sort of move from one country to the next and make big decisions. And I think there will be a lot of our sort of listeners and viewers that might think, um, oh God, this day-to-day -day work around here, I would love to be somewhere else and work completely different. And I mean, you have done it. So back to you, back to okay. you. I'm talking again. All right, you get the long story. Um, the long story starts uh, that, that I always wanted to do something with animals when I was a kid. But and so veterinarian occurred to me, but it didn't really, I didn't really what to do and then also when graduation came around the grades weren't quite right 
and all my friends and I always did sports. I used to be a competitive swimmer and all my friends were studying sports and that sounded really good. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. So um, I went to Cologne to study sports and I became a diplomat uh, sports scientist with a degree and then moved to Munich and worked at, for the Professional Ski Instructors Association. And there, and it's always about boyfriends. Um, I had a boyfriend mm. who had uh, sled dogs. That's mm. where it all started, really. Um, so I went with him as a dog handler and uh, got into the world of sled dogs. And I heard the talk, and I learned that mushers, the dog drivers, they they always do what the other musher does, and they there's not that much science around. And just come in graduating from this science and training and all of that oh, there's more that can be done there and um, and also I, yeah the, the job was okay for two years but then it wasn't very exciting anymore and I thought hmm, that would be cool to be a vet for sled dogs um, so I went back to my initial dream and I said okay I'll do it I applied for um, I applied for a place and that was easy because it was a second study and you had to have a reason why and they explained why and all. So I got, I got a place right away in Munich um, and um, started to become a vet. But since I wanted to do sled dogs specifically, <clears throat> there was this one guy, a professor, Dominique Grandjean in Paris, France. He's the renowned guy in Europe who does studies, research, and has been involved in the set dog sports since a long time. And I said, okay, I want to learn with him. So I applied for an exchange program. And then the, before last year, I was uh, I went there for a whole year. And with him, I owe him a lot because he then took me to races. Um, he took me a little bit on his wings. I learned, yeah, I went to races in Finland. I even went to Alaska with him. I did my doctorate with him um, about sled dogs there. So that's why I got involved in the whole sled dog world. But during my studies, I also realized that uh, being a veterinarian is actually a really cool job. So I, I did like to be a veterinarian for whatever animal. Um, I also realized um, there's not much money to make in sled dogs, so not in Germany anyway, and uh, because mushers are all poor or crying poor. <laughs> so, um, so that was that, and I I was a vet and I was quite happy. I I joined the ISDVMA, the International Sled Dog Veterinary Medical Association, um, to just do as much sled dog. As at, on the side as I could. I went to races, I went to the Yukon Quest in Alaska. Um, and that's where I then met another boyfriend. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, that, took, uh, that took a few years. We were just friends and then uh, several years later, it, it turned out, okay, um, we, we, we came together actually. And he made the big decision to say, okay, I'm going to leave Alaska and I would go to Germany because it's very difficult for me to work in the States. You have to redo the exam and so you have to jump to several hoops. I tried that once actually, but it's a big, big, big deal. And it was not very likely. And I told him, okay, we can go wherever you want. 
but I do want to work as a vet. That's all I want to do. I don't care where I work, but I do want to be a vet. So he came to Germany that quickly turned out wasn't quite the right place for him. So we then together made the decision, okay, we need to go somewhere else. Alaska is too far um, because uh, I'm an only child. My parents uh, needed somebody closer. So Scandinavia it was. We kind of narrowed down to the place where we're now. And um, that's where I then started my own my own vet, vet practice. Um, and he had made, when he came to Germany, he had made the decision after 27 years, um, okay, he would be done with sled dogs. <clears throat> he gave it up. And you were here, you know how much he gave it up. Mm, 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 and mm, so now mm. we have 40 sled dogs back. Mm. <laughs> Right. That's how we ended up here. That's the long story short. Yes. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I've, I, uh, I, I had the great pleasure, sort of, meeting you in person and and have a coffee with you. And I mean, the the countryside, sort of, around you, next to to a big river, and with all the forest and the woods around you. I mean, sort of, a lot of people dream about it. Sort of. But I would also assume, I mean, it has also some of its shortcomings. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, running, running a veterinary practice where you are, um, how, how does it work with um, supplies, medical supplies, uh, equipment and things like that? Do you, do you have good access to all that? Does that work okay? Um, yeah, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's nothing compared to Germany or what I was used to Germany. The turnaround times for anything, if you want lab work or have orders or any or order meds or supplies or whatever, it's, it's about at least a week. It's always about a week. You can write some, some stuff comes a bit quicker, but that's what you have to think of you. Um, you can order most of it. There are not very many suppliers. Um, the big difference, as you probably also realized, working in Sweden and Norway, is we don't have the um, what is it called in English? The Apothekenklassung. The right, the right to dispense medication. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so, so I have to buy my drugs in the pharmacy just for the same price as everybody else. Mm. So I only really store what I need to give people as an emergency for weekends and then they get a prescription and pick it up themselves in the pharmacy. I mean, the difference, difference is the, the injectable drugs. You can, you can keep injectable drugs, but when it comes to tablets, creams, drops, things okay. like that, they need prescriptions for everything. Yeah. I mean... Scandinavian countries, especially Sweden, have a have a fantastic track record when it comes to um, the reduction of the use of antimicrobials. I mean, if you if you compare that to a lot of other European countries, they they are really fantastic. Having said that, I don't know how you see that. I at times were. Um, sort of despairing a little bit because I, I felt, well, I would love to give this client right away, example, a painkiller off the shelf. Mm -hmm. Instead, I had to write a prescription and it meant that the client had to go then first to the next pharmacy, which 
might be quite a hike, especially in your part of the world, instead of to, to go to the next pharmacy. And then it was not necessarily in the interest of the pharmacy to stock veterinary medication. So I had so many uh, pharmacies that just didn't have the basic stuff. Mm. So, um, uh, uh, so just ordinary painkillers um, and uh, obviously with antibiotics, very restrictive. You have to make a really good case for the any time when you use antimicrobials, which I think is probably a good thing. We probably shouldn't use, um, uh, 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 shouldn't earn money on the sale of antimicrobials, but but with a lot of other drugs where it was, I think, really in the interest of the patient to have fast pain relief. Also, yes, I could give them an injection at the practice, but then did they get, if they didn't get the painkillers within the next 24 hours, it was, Tricky. No, but it's not. It's not that restricted. You can have. You can have. Um, you can have tablets at home or at yeah. practice, and I do. Um, yeah. But what I usually do, and it's completely right, um, the pharmacies often don't have what you need. It's a constant struggle. Medication is a constant struggle. Um, you have a lot less um, variety what you can prescribe because they just don't have it. Um, mm. If you're lucky, they can they can order it within a day or two, but you have to be prepared that the people are will be without medication for a few days. So I always do have a certain tablets at home um, at the clinic that I can provide for them, so they can have they can use it for like two to three or four days until I'm relatively confident um, they will get it from the pharmacy. And not all pharmacies are open every day up here. That's the next thing. Um, two pharmacies I usually work with. Um, or Yeah, one tries to have everything what I usually prescribe at home and available. Um, the other one, not so much. <coughs> um, and you, you say the track record with the antibiotics, that also what I see... Um, that has that definitely has its downside. It looks very good on paper, mm. um, but what I see in the referrals, um, it's a it's a constant struggle because I mean they rather literally rather have the animal die instead of giving antibiotics, and that I think is taken a little bit far. Mm. And um, yeah, I'm a bit I'm I'm quite appalled by that, but. Um, mm. So, Interesting, yeah. Yeah, it, it's mm. yeah. Mm. Um, we were talking about seasonal changes. I mean, with the climate sort of uh, the temperatures being so different, do you have any sort of very seasonal or um, what shall I say uh, conditions that are far more common? So I don't know when the hunting season is on that you have dogs <laughs> with. With 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 hunting injuries, so shot wounds, or, or being being attacked, or in a fight with a moose, or something like that, or in I don't know, or in the winter problems with 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 animals that were outside, so hypothermia or something like that. How is that where you are? Um, yeah, so it's very. I mean, that's an interesting question coming up because right now we're hunting season is imminent. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's starting now actually uh, tomorrow for birds and bear and then Monday in a week for moose. Moose hunting is the big deal here. So uh, now they come with all the dogs that are limping. They may be limping since 
March, but now mm. I need to take it here off because since it doesn't hasn't gone over now, now, now it really somebody needs to look at it because mm. we need to be hunting. Yeah. Um, but the big, big, big deal is what I'm going to be treating for the next, uh, since about a week and for the next three weeks is nose quasa, which is nose mites. Um, and um, that's a big, 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 big deal because um, they're sitting in the, in the nose, in the nasal channel. And um, not only the dogs make, may have a characteristic, characteristic symptom for those is the, the reverse sneezing. But they can yeah. also lose their sense of smell. And for a hunting dog, that's not so very yeah. practical. So all the hunters are completely terrified and they come with dogs and um, some some come and claim that the dog has no squads and need to be treated, but it doesn't. And uh, But many dogs really actually do have that, but they only find that out when they now um, let the dogs loose um, in sometime in August. Um, the ban of having or, or the, the um, requirement of having dogs on a leash stops and they mm -hmm. let them loose in the, in the forest to just go do their thing and then it turns out okay the dog doesn't leave their owner doesn't go anywhere so something's got to be wrong <laughs> so it doesn't smell anything mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's treated right. what's, what's also treated what I find super interesting is um, people come very often with the complaint that the dog doesn't bark that's something I have never heard in Germany that complaint <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't bark all right it's a horse um, it doesn't bark loud enough um it doesn't bark often enough and it's some somewhat hoarse the, the voice is not right and but that's usually usually um what has preceded is is that they have let it go loose in the in the forest the way they hunt here is they let the dogs loose the dog is supposed to find a moose and stay with it and bark at it until the hunter arrives and then finally shoots the moose. So the dog has GPS trackers on it to find, so the hunters can find the dog and then the moose. But mm. in the training phase, when they don't shoot the moose, dogs may escape and they, they're, just, they're just out there for 10 hours. So it may well be that the dog's all out there all night, 10 hours barking at the moose. Mm. And then the vocal cords are a bit irritated. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then I need to fix it with the with one injection. I need to be good. Good. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's free hunting and during hunting, of course, you have hunting injuries, which is, I would think, 60-70% is due to the fact that they run crisscross around the, the forest. When they're well trained, they're trained on either the, the asphalt roads or the forest roads, but when they're actually hunting, they go cross country. So there are lots of stumps and roots and whatever else which they have in their feet and poking, poking everywhere. Um, also sore muscles because it's a different movement when they have to go over the roots and instead of a mm. straight road, things mm. like that. And then about 40% is actually injuries from the moose. Or from the actual hunters, I have that too. They shoot them. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Happens, happens. No? Yeah, but what I what I found sort of especially with with Yemtun, they they often came in with rib fractures because they had been hit by the shovel, 
uh, and and jaw fractures were also not uncommon that we saw in in Östersund and in uh, okay. And, uh, mm. okay. So I had a few of of those there, but then I mean, the on the on the good side is you get these canine athletes in which injuries mm? so there are fairly often fairly young dogs that that have obviously sort of an injury but then they from a cardiovascular point of view you you can't get a better patient so uh, um, even if you have to do intrathoracic surgery or so then uh, you have a patient with uh, hardly any other pre-existing conditions that's also really fit so uh, obviously, from an anesthetic point of view, that is that's the patient you want to get to have if you have one of these traumatic injuries, not yeah. a twelve or fourteen year old uh, uh, pet dog that that is obese or something like that. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, not all. That's more true for the sled dogs. Sled dogs in general are are all trained to some extent. The hunting dogs, not all. There are some serious hunters and breeders that really religiously go get out with the dogs and, and go out on the bike and really train them so they're really fit. But you mm. also have the hunters um, that the dog is a bit more of a pet dog. It sits in the cage or at home most of the summer, getting fat, is completely untrained, and then gets loose in the, in the woods. We have that too. Yeah. And they injure, get injuries a lot easier, of course, than the well-trained ones. Another aspect of your life where, where I was interesting for me just to, to see how you get on with that. So you obviously you don't have you don't have a Swedish background, uh, but then you chose to to uh, not only to live but also to work in different countries. So so this is Germany there in France. You probably had to speak then. Uh, French with the colleagues over there, then in Sweden, sort of you you had to learn the language to uh, uh, to work there. How how do you feel sort of about um, not only living but working, communicating? And we are, we as vets we have to communicate a lot, yeah, right. Sort of in a in a different language. How how well did you find that very difficult or are you do you like foreign languages i don't know sort of i mean there, there are at least four languages involved here german english french and swedish hmm? that's right do you have more to offer <laughs> no i'm just learning mongolian but i'm not very far okay. yet <laughs> <laughs> um no i like languages i always mm -hmm. had a hang for languages i like languages so so that's not so much of a problem. Um, it was a bit of, I, I was lucky because in the beginning I had, I had assistants, helpers, nurses if you want, um, who spoke very well English. So during my work day, I said what I needed to say in English, they would translate it into Swedish, then translate the Swedish from the clients back to English for me. So I heard it all the time. So the, the veterinary English, the veterinary Swedish came relatively quickly, but it was all interest, also interesting that um, up here, um, the young people leave more and more of the area. So you have a lot to do with older people, older dog owners, and they, even if they do speak a bit of English, they really don't like it. So I, I see in the beginning, it was a bit of a struggle because when they called, 
and it became like emergencies too and it became apparent that I wouldn't I, I couldn't understand them that they needed to speak English then they they were very reluctant and sometimes chose to try to go somewhere else um, mm -hmm. so but yeah but that that got over relatively quickly so for me but on a different um track it was really difficult in the beginning because i've never had in my own practice in germany so i had no experience how to run my own practice um and i didn't speak the language and then i started my own practice here and i didn't know where to order what the, pretty pretty brave anybody yeah. to well i didn't have didn't know who to ask um so that was a bit of a struggle i have to admit that yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but 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 so great. I mean, I I did sort of a similar thing with the UK, but before I opened my own place, I had worked a few years as an assistant and uh -huh. I had already sort of started networking and uh, knew who the main uh, uh, wholesalers were, the main yeah. suppliers of equipment and drugs. And so when I opened my clinic, I could I could strike also very good deals with them because they knew me already okay. in advance. Oh, that's so that good. Was yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, um, but it was interesting in <laughs> Yeah, but I think, I don't know how you think about it, but I, I, I always felt that one big, big difference between Germany and Scandinavia is uh, how common it is that people have pet insurance and pet insurance can right. make such a big difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I think this is something where, where Germany at least sort of has to catch up. I mean, I had that in the UK as well. Um, a lot of dogs are insured and then you can focus on the yeah. clinical issues. Yeah. You, you don't have to worry too much about the, the, uh, the cost involved here. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it is a lot more than in Germany. I totally agree. And I'm super happy when I do have insurance, but still, I think up here in the north, there's still lesser, fewer people that have insurance and perhaps whether south or in a little bit bigger cities. And frustrating enough, um, I, I encounter that all the time that people have an insurance for their pet. And then when, when he or she turns like 10, they feel okay, now they have paid enough, now they kind of, they gotta cancel the insurance. And that's when I get sick. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's very frustrating, yeah. and, and maybe that's um, that's the part to, to to lead over what you were saying in the beginning about the mentality of people up here and how in which way it's different. I do have to struggle a lot um, with people still that that see their animal as it needs to be functioning, and if it doesn't function, it needs to be taken away. And that's still a sentiment in many people around mm. here that I'm that I'm fighting with. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it. What I one one big difference I think I, I don't know how you feel about that with sort of with, with with Swedish clients I felt sort of compared with German or British clients was they were so patient <laughs> because yeah no but we had that so often that um, uh, if you if they had to to wait an hour or something like that for for a normal appointment no big deal no big deal they are just happy that somebody is there yeah, who's seeing right. their dog 
Mm, so, okay, then wait an hour. We, we, we had sort of people sort of coming, turning up with a camper van in front of the clinic and saying, yeah, whenever you are ready, so we have everything with us or, or bringing garden chairs and tables if the weather was nice sort of out. And, and then especially during the COVID sort of period. So uh -huh. And when we were admitting patients in the car park, so then, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's why, and that's in Germany, sort of, uh, you have to wait more than 15 minutes. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I have, I, I think, I think in that way, I'm, I'm really lucky. Two things. Also, I find, I find my clients not very demanding. I, I, I think in, in Germany, or what, what I hear from, from colleagues in the US, when you have, several vets around that you're competing with um that clients use that to their advantage and, and they they come and they want instant results and um and and i don't i don't have that pressure i don't feel that pressure i'm super lucky in that i mean i don't have much competition that's the other thing i mean the vets are far away from here so um so so and that makes me I, I i'm just i love my job i like it i i don't feel i don't have this burnout um and pressure that i see in many other vets when i hear when 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 yeah this demanding demanding attitude of clients that they they come and they want results instant results and um, they want something for their money and, and and get nasty if you can't deliver if you make it make a mistake or something i don't have that and i'm very happy about that good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no i mean that that was also at uh, when i had my, my my clinic in the uk sort of i always felt that um it is not worth keeping every client so oh yeah life is life is sometimes sort of there's, there's a small number of clients yeah. that cost it so much effort and they upset so often the team sort of that life is better without them yeah. <laughs> so and okay i mean they, they might say you might if, 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 so there are ways and means sort of to uh, to uh, to try to uh, avoid sort of having people like that uh, in the practice um, you don't need to 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 save it you just uh, have to limit i think sort of uh, um, uh, your efforts to that what is important for the animal but don't necessarily make them overly comfortable if you think that they are not really nice to you and your team why yeah. are struggling double or something yeah. like that uh, no uh, that that was that's definitely one of the peaks um of being having my own clinic uh mm. as compared to what i did before being working as a local or, or mm. being employed in, in germany I have you have to take everybody at every hour um but yeah no that that's definitely an advantage and here but here it's mostly people what i had sadly in the beginning was is a, an attitude amongst people that um which is supported by the law and even supported by by the government actively that if you if you want rid of an animal you just kill it so you go to the vet and they have this um, expectancy that you are you, you are there to do a service for the owner. So mm. if they demand their cat, dog, or whatever to be euthanized, um, I don't call it euthanized. It's a 
because it's killed basically then they expect you to do that and they were super surprised when i said no this is a healthy animal um, if you have an extended vacation and you don't have a place room, I'm happy to help you to find somebody to care with, or maybe do this myself or whatever. But I'm not gonna kill this animal. Oh yeah, and I'm gonna drown it in the river, and I had to learn to try to be immune to that and say, well, if this is if you want to drown it in the river and have that on your conscience, then I can't stop you doing that. But I'm not killing it for you, and that was really tough. Um, but then, of course, word goes around, and um, these calls came less and less. So I don't have that problem that much anymore. Mm. But that was quite a contentious point for the first, certainly, four or five years. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Husky. So if the Husky as a patient, I mean, it is so that we all sort of see in general practice huskies, they are not necessarily sort of um, uh, the most popular dogs, I think, especially if they are in an urban environment. And I think especially the, uh, uh, the behaviorists often have sort of a, um, a fair number of, of huskies in their, their clientele, which I think is to 99% probably down to the way these dogs are kept. But but how how is a husky as a patient if you see a lot of them? And uh, yeah, I don't know, sort of how, how obviously, well, you, you will not say it's a terrible patient, but but I don't know, it's sort of, uh, is a husky sometimes misunderstood or uh, is it actually very good? Uh, or is it, uh, I mean, what we have here is, uh, um, a dog that would possibly make both. I don't know, uh, not only a working dog, but also a pet, I don't know. Right. So yeah. what's your take is on that? Um, I don't know. I think I have no, 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 nothing negative to say again, actually about Huskies as a patient, because mm. I don't recall, I don't recall ever having seen an aggressive Husky. It's mm. super, super rare. I no, I don't recall in the past years. They all, some, some are a bit more shy than others, mm. um, but they're all very compliant. Um, they're, they're super friendly. They're easy mm. as patients. I have a oh, what's going on here with this plane. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, um, I, I mean, that, that struck me. I mean, when I, uh, when I was at your place or when I visit other places with Huskies, they're all super chilled and yeah. there is yeah. not much, there's not much of it. They have occasionally here or there an argument, but then that is sorted out and it's clear who is boss and who is uh, maybe not boss. And then they're good. Then they're good. So if they food like might be an issue, possibly. So if <laughs> they're hungry, I don't know. So. No, they are. No, it's more um, food could be with ours. It's not. Um, mm. It's more, more the most the more common reason for fights is bitches and heat. Mm. Um, that that's the most common reasons why why they get into the fight into the fight. They may they may well get into a fight with one another, but no, not ever aggressive towards humans. That's completely unlikely, husky. Mm. Towards humans. 
The mm. only problem could be that they are, these are very tough. Um, the ones I have to deal with or I deal with are very well trained dogs and they are very, very stoic. So if they're lame, you have a really hard time to find out where they're lame because you just stand there and let you do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> without mm, flinching, mm. without yeah. stopping, they let you move everything, don't say a word, and then they limp away on three legs. I mean, <laughs> it's mm, very, that mm. can be very frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, by the look of it, I, I uh, we had a coffee in your kitchen, and I think you had sort of five or six or even more dogs mm. sort of in the, uh, in the kitchen. Mm. I, I thought, well, they actually they're very social dogs so so i mean they 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 it's probably not they don't make bad pets it's just so you need to 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 know to entertain them as well i think so they i think demand uh, um, a lot of exercise i would assume or... i don't know i think i think huskies have a bad rap i mean you do have to 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 differentiate between the purebred dogs, like the Siberian Huskies, they're a bit more difficult. They're uh, in the sense that are a bit louder. They like to bark and howl a bit more. Um, they tend to run away a bit more easily. The, the Alaskan Husky, which technically is a mixed breed, which is mostly used as a sled dog. They are a lot more um, socialized to the human. They, they, they don't have this runaway tendency so much. But they all make good pets. I mean, I had, before coming here, I had an I had an Alaskan Husky, um, and they are super chilled. I mean, if I compare it to like these hunting dogs, if you have um, uh, this um, what is it called in English, like stövare, like yeah. mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. those guys, they want constantly, or even Malino. We have we have Malinos here. They want they want some attention. They want something to do. They want a job. The husky, if, if if there's no running, then they lay somewhere and chill. So they're they're yeah. really cool as pets. <laughs> it's not yeah. a problem. They, mm. they they should have. I think for a husky, it's more important to be in a pack that can be with with their people mm -hmm. or with other dogs or both. Yeah. Yeah, ideally both. So really, the social interaction yes. is important. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. the most important. I think yeah. I think if you have if you have if you have a husky um, as a single dog and leave him on his own a lot, that one is probably going to go completely stir crazy. Yeah. What what are typical what uh, uh, cases that you see with the huskies? I would assume it's mainly sort of um, musculoskeletal injuries things like that yeah. i think from a cardiovascular point of view i think there's not much work there with a husky a husky with a i don't know with cardiomyopathy or something like that probably not that common or endocrinological disorders or something like that yeah yeah endocrinology <laughs> you have um hypothyrosis is a big deal so you have mm. lots of those um that's that's a rather common problem um yeah. with huskies um, and then they can have everything like like allergies or um, they could they can potentially have heart problems too, um, but not very often. Um, when they're getting older, it's like kidney kidney problems and stuff. Um, 
and of course neoplasias. And otherwise it's mostly musculoskeletal problems or like any kind of, of fights or fight injuries or injuries occurred while training. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember the in the UK we have the um, the BVA Kennel Club um, uh, hip and elbow scheme uh, scheme, and it was usually so that the Huskies had the one of the lowest uh, yeah. hip scores. So that you have a Husky with a um, uh, with hip dysplasia, very rare, not not very often. And the interesting thing is, I mean, from the build, there's not so much difference between German Shepherd and the Husky, and uh, and yet there is. If you if you if you look uh, closer at things like the elbow joint or the hip joint, uh, huge difference, huge difference in these dogs that have similar size, sort of, and 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 a comparable build. But then technically, I mean, especially the dogs I'm looking at here, um, I mean, there are not very many people who have. Huskies here purely as pet dogs. If people have huskies here, then they usually do something with them. They go if, if it's only one or two, they, they go skiing, they do some sports, and they have them because of that, because they know okay, this this one he's gonna pull me and I'm gonna have some fun in the winter. And the and 90% of the dogs I have here, they are sled dogs in, in some form or another. Um <clears throat> So, um, so that's not a problem. But also, um, also the a majority of the dogs I have here are Alaskan Huskies, and Alaskan Huskies are technically a mixed breed. So you don't have these um, these standard breed problems like in like what you mentioned, um, German Shepherds or something. Mm -hmm. I do have yeah. of course some Siberian Huskies too, but they are also they are all working dogs. So they're bred mm. working dogs, so you won't breed a dog that doesn't pull and run properly. So that automatically, naturally breeds itself out. You don't really have that problem. I don't know in Siberian Huskies that are purely in sh as show dogs um, for the South in Europe. I don't know. You may have problems with dysplasia, but I don't know that. So winter is coming, um, sort of autumn is coming, sort of. Tell me when 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 you sit then uh, up in Sweden. So what what are the biggest things you are missing, when sort of from from Germany or from the continent? Is what am I missing in the winter now specifically? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Or, or or from time to time, or is there there nothing you're really missing? Yes, there is. I mean, from time to what I, what what gets a bit old, I think is. Um, to have everything we buy here, whatever it's, uh, I mean, not maybe not groceries, but everything else you can only buy online. You cannot go in a store and look at things and feel things and try it on or, or, or look at it and compare it to others, how it looks like. Everything you buy online that gets really tiring. Yeah. Okay. It has its advantages, um, but no, I, I really enjoy when I'm visiting my mom, I go to town and I go in stores and I look at things and touch things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's really mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. The dark, of course, gets a bit to you in the winter. Um, 
um, but it's it's as you as you realize now already. I mean, it's very fast. It goes very fast, and it goes dark, dark, dark until the twenty first of December, and then relatively quickly the days become longer too. It's not that long of a period, so that I really like. That's the opposite of the question you were asking, but <laughs> what mm -hmm. I do, what I, I really like the change of the seasons. So here, life in summer is a completely different life than from life in winter. You can't compare that. It's it's different. It's completely different. It's not just a bit colder. It's it's a different life. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and as soon as the weather is good. People are outside. They make the most of sort of good weather, and uh, 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 yeah. And also, I mean, I've, I I felt sort of up here in the north, sort of visiting people at eleven o'clock at night in the summer. No right. big deal. Yeah, that's um, that's a normal thing. Go to somebody at I don't know in the winter at seven o'clock in, in the now. Although I mean, they they have also things that go on in the evening. Nevertheless. Generally, a lot of things, sort of the social interactions, sort of as the temperatures go down, is often so that they also, I feel, yeah. sort of a little bit down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, How so that? that's that. Sorry, um, but that's actually something I'm, I'm, I'm actually missing the, the diversity. I think um, there is the people up here. There's not very much diversity, so the the interests are mainly fishing and hunting and that's yeah. the extent of it and the, the Swede in general is not a very social person and that's even more here in the north so there are no there are no bars there are, are some restaurants in the ski areas but that's over an hour drive for us so we, we don't really do that but uh, but then also I to be fair I, I wouldn't really know what to talk about to the mm. typical northern Sweden. It's nice, it's a bit of a small talk, but there's not so many common interests. Hans is a fascinating person, look what he or she has done, and uh, the travel and the art or the sculptures or the whatever they do, there's mm. not much there. And that's a bit, that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, so you have yeah. to rely on yourself and be happy in the nature and with your animals. Yeah. And if if necessary, take a break if you can. Right, so exactly. Travel, go travel, and then yeah. get there somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you do when you're traveling? Can you can you um, uh, shut your practice down for a few days, or do you have somebody to look after the practice then, or how does that work? It depends. I I do like um, the problem is with our own dogs. So my partner and I um, we always do vacation separately from one another. The dogs the dogs are high, bigger liability than the practice. Actually. Yes, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So technically, I can shut the practice down. I say, okay, I'm not there. You can call the other vets in the area, which is mm. a very wide, yeah. <laughs> very mm. wide area. Um, um, so I, I'd like to have a locum here, but then also it's difficult because I have, I'm working, I'm working with patients four days a week here. And I have, I have lots, I think I have, I'm quite busy as a practice and I do most things myself. Um, except the orthopedic surgery but still to to really be in a position to pay a locum 
full full salary is difficult. So um, and economically, I don't know if mostly not worthwhile, but it's also very difficult to find a locum because there's so many things he or she also needs to know um, mm. when working here. Because um, right now I have a I have help. I have an assistant. But she is like so many others. She just told me two days ago that she's going to move um, with her boyfriend in the middle of October because as she found out, there's nothing there for young people. Um, so they move and nobody wants to move here. And so it's, it's so the, the, the yeah, finding, finding people to work here is really a struggle. It's very, very difficult. Yeah, well, maybe somebody is listening to this podcast or somebody is uh, watching this YouTube video, then I'm sure they can get in touch with you. Mm -hmm. That would be fantastic. Yes, good. we are always looking for help. <laughs> That's good. Annette, thank you very much for this Vicarovet chat. Um, if anyone uh, would like to comment on this program or would like to uh, send us ideas for other Vicarovet chats, please email us on vetchat at vicarovet.org uh, or contact us via our social media outlets so on Facebook or Instagram or on LinkedIn. So I hope that I will see you again uh, at another episode of Fikaravet Chat and let's wait and see where we will be then. Take care.